So how you doing? Great. Great. Here we are almost at the end of February. Unbelievable, right? Time is flying by. Well, we continue this series, uh, His Story of Us, as we're looking at the major themes of the Bible so we can kind of touch on the high points. Today, we're talking about the Good Samaritan. And this is probably one of the most popular known stories in the Bible. You would... You wouldn't find very many people, even people who don't know the Bible, that haven't heard this story in some context, in some comparison, talking about the Good Samaritan. So since you have all heard it already, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, but there is some stuff here that I think we need to learn, that we can, some insights from the Word of God. I found that a lot of times when, I've, when I think I know a story, there's always stuff that I don't know. So let's pray that the Lord would speak to our hearts today fresh and new. Lord, I pray that you would give us insights into your word that by the power of your Holy Spirit would change us and conform us even more into the image of Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And a lawyer stood up, uh, not, not uh, a lawyer like you're thinking of today, uh, not a, a, a lawyer. I can't say anything bad about lawyers because a lawyer is running the slides. And so he's in control. See, there it goes. No. <laughs> Love a lawyer. See? So there you go. There you go. He, he had that ready. See, a good lawyer is going to plan ahead. Good lawyer is going to plan ahead. But this is a man who, who knew the Word of God. He was a, sometimes referred to as a scribe. He was a lawyer, just like lawyers today know the law. That's one of the things they are people who know the law. A lawyer knew the law, but they knew the law of God. They're, they're, they knew what the law of God said as for the nation of the Jews, that they were interpreters of the law of God. So this lawyer comes up to Jesus, stood up, and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? How do I live forever? And we see that this was not a sincere question. It was a, it was a test question. It was a, a desire to try to catch Jesus in saying something that would be against the law or against the law of God so that they could question who he was as the Messiah. And Jesus responded and with this question, with a question. Good way to answer a test question is with a question, right? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. That pretty much covers it, right? Soul, heart, strength, and mind. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And with your, and your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6, 5. These are, these are, these are both passages out of the, the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So 
one of the things that gets talked about a lot today is, is how you need to love yourself. The reality, most of us don't have any problem with that. Now, we may not have good self-esteem. We may not have a good understanding, but most of us love ourselves. This is not an esteem issue. This is not, I got to love myself before I can love other people. Uh, this is not love your neighbor because you love yourself, but it's love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's a difference. And how do you love yourself? Uh, here's the reality. Even if you don't have good self-esteem, you're still taking pretty good care of yourself. You are at the heart of your concerns. You're wanting to take care of your needs. Uh, you want to make sure that yourself gets everything it wants when it wants it, if at all possible. Right? We have, all of us, we just have a powerful instinct for self-survival and self-fulfillment. We all want to be happy. Don't have to say, man, I just know you're agreeing with me. I'll just assume that. We all want to have satisfying, purpose-filled lives. We want our lives to count for something. We want to enjoy our lives. We want to be happy. We want uh, food that we want. And we have varying tastes of what we want. We want food that we want that satisfies us. That's one of the things that some of you are already strategizing about. You're thinking right now, uh, in about an hour and a half, I'm going to get to go to lunch. You're not thinking that. You're thinking, you know, I'll get up and leave before that, if that's how long it's going to be. You know, we start thinking about lunch. We start thinking about, you know, what, what do we, we want? And then, you're, you know, we have this big quandary about what do we want to eat? And, you know, we always, you know, it always starts after church. We sit, you know, where do you want to go? And where do you want to go eat? And you can say to your wife, where do you want to go? And she'll say, I, I don't care. <laughs> and you can say, well, then let's go to Chili's. No, I don't want to go to Chili's. <laughs> I thought you didn't care. Well, I didn't care until you set a place. And then I realized I didn't want to go to that place. And so you just begin, you know, so you're just trying to figure it out. And we all have such varied taste. I mean, we, there's just, you know, it's, it's all so different what we desire. My boys cannot eat a meal nowadays unless it is covered with sriracha. And some of you don't even know what that is. But... Uh, so we want the food that satisfies us. We want what we want. That's normal. We want what we want. So we are all working to get what we want. Right? Because when you say, where do you want to go eat? You don't say, I don't care wherever you want to go. And then when that person, no, you want what you want. We all want clothing that makes a statement about ourselves that we want to make. We don't dress alike. But we dress in certain ways that we feel like says something about the way we are. We dress the way we want to dress. I, this is unusual, I don't have on a paisley shirt today. 
So this is like an odd day for me. I have a lot of Paisley shirts. I happen to like Paisley. And if I see a Paisley shirt that I like, and it's on sale, those are my two criteria. Now, I have a case, if it's really unusual, I'll pay full price. That doesn't happen very often. I'm going to get it. And someone said last week, I like the shirt you're wearing like the 70s. And I, you know, uh, I've had people come up to me and say, I like the way you're bringing back those old styles. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not bringing it back. I just never let go of it. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, that's what I like. You know, Landon, Perry, uh, as a worship leader, you may not know this, but as a worship leader, when you graduate from worship leading school, they don't give you a diploma. They give you a, a Levi's jacket and a pair of skinny jeans. <laughs> that's, your, that's your diploma. That's your qualifier right there. And on your resume, when you apply for a job, you have to tell them how many pairs of skinny jeans you have, whether, you can really, whether you're a real worship leader. Landon, Landon, I'm just a joke. Landon doesn't wear skinny jeans. Uh, they didn't start out that way. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. He's, he, he deserves this because he's been pulling pranks on everybody for the last couple of weeks. So he deserves to be in trouble. Uh, so that, you know, that's what we, we do. In other words, we do what we value. We pursue what we value. Some of you wear camo. We can still see you, but you're wearing camo. <laughs> <coughs> that was crazy. Okay. We want to be safe. We want a safe place. We want to be, have violence. We want friends that like us. And want to be with us. Have you ever had friends that you discovered didn't really want to be your friends and you kept trying to be friends with them and really you, you, you realize they really don't like you very much? Now that's all, that's all self-love. We're all doing that stuff. We're all about that. Every one of us, every one of us, without exception, this is a human trait. We're taking care of ourselves. It's, it's one of the primary things that motivates us. We're motivated by self-love, by self-care. It's, it's, not a, it's not a negative unless it becomes out of control. The way we, as followers of Christ, we bring that into submission is that we put our love for self under the submission of our love for Christ. So that we, we're pursuing yeah, we, we still care about all of those things. We still care about safety and food and clothing and, and love and value and importance. But we're submitting that. We realize that our true value is not going to come from any of those things, that our true value is going to come from who we are in Christ. So in having found ourselves in Him, we find our fulfillment in Christ, and then we can build a life where we're not bound by this selfishness that can get a hold of us. So, and he said to him, you've answered correctly. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. And he could have stopped there. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? Now, that's a loophole question, right? Now, a lot of you will have no idea who this is, but there was an old comedian in the 40s called W.C. Fields. And when he, the, there's a story told that when he was dying, he was looking through a Bible, and he was not a religious man. He was a profane, godless man and had lived that way boldly and blatantly. And someone was surprised that W.C. Fields had a Bible. And they said to him, what, what are you doing looking at a Bible? He said, I'm looking for loopholes. <laughs> and this is what this guy's doing. He's looking for a way out because he recognizes something. He wants to justify himself. When do we want to justify ourselves? When we realize we've been told to do something that we're not doing. Right? I mean, that's how you, if, if the officer pulls you over and he says, do you know how fast you were going? It's like, well, do you know? Because if you don't know, I'm in the, I'm good. That's always a weird question to me. Do you know how fast you were going? Just tell me. Uh, <laughs> it's like a test question. I, no, I don't. But if he says you were speeding, a lot of times, you know, they'll tell you, we've got a story. Well, why? And they'll even ask you, why were you going so fast? Is it going to make any difference if I tell you? <laughs> so, we, in other words, if we get caught doing something, one of our first reactions is, to justify ourselves. We want to give a reason why. So he's justifying himself because he recognizes he hasn't loved God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind all the time. He did it maybe last Tuesday for an hour, but he hasn't done it 100% of the time, and none of us have. We don't love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind 100% of the time. And we don't love our neighbor as ourself 100% of the time. So we, we fail at that. So a proper response to that would be to say to Jesus, Jesus, I know that this is the commandment, but I can't figure out how to do it consistently. I can have pockets of obedience. I have moments when I do better, but I'm not doing this 100% of the time. Jesus, how do I do that? He doesn't ask that. He doesn't, he doesn't try to say, listen, I know I need help in this. I'm not keeping the law. If I'm, gonna, if I'm dependent upon getting on to heaven on keeping the law, I'm not going to make it. You realize that's true of all of us, right? If we're hopeful that the way we're going to get to heaven is because we kept, we loved God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind 100% of the time, and we loved our neighbors, ourselves 100% of the time, and that's our ticket to heaven, guess what? You're going to hell. And so am I. Because I didn't make it, and you didn't make it, and we never will make it. Our only hope is not through the law. Our only hope is through Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law, but he does call us to a higher calling in him. He wants us to be like him. So Jesus, because he's tried to justify himself, Jesus tells him this story, referred to often as a parable. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, Jericho was 17 miles below Jerusalem, 
and about 3,500 feet. Jerusalem is at about 2,500 feet altitude, and Jericho is at minus 850. So it is a downward trek, and you can see that, that the, the terrain is very treacherous. That is the wadi between Jerusalem and Jericho. And then there's another picture of the road to Jericho. And you can see, that's pretty tough terrain, right? And the whole way, the whole 17 miles is like that. You can see also that it also puts you in a position where there's a lot of places that robbers or thieves could hide and attack you. If you, if you watched a lot of westerns when you were growing up, you realize this is a dangerous, you're getting boxed into a canyon. It's a dangerous place. And that's what was happening. It was a dangerous road for that very reason. So he does encounter robbers. It is a dangerous road. They, they take everything that he has. They take his clothes. They beat him. And they leave him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Whereas he avoided having to have interaction with the man who was wounded. He had to see a naked man laying in the road. So he avoided him. Likewise, a Levite. Now these are both affiliated with the lawyer. These are the three, these are the categories of religious leaders are the scribes, the scribes and the lawyers, the priest and the Levites. The Levites were are those that served in the temple, that did the, the work in the temple. So these all, are all associated with the lawyer. So he says these, these, having saw the man, they saw the situation that he was in, that he was that he was stripped of his clothing, that he had been beaten, that he was, he was half dead, that he was not in good shape. And they avoid him and they walk on the other side of the road. And think about it. Put yourself in their shoes before we judge them. Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, think about it. It's, here's a man who's beaten and robbed, left for dead on the road, so you, you, you would say, this is not a safe place. I, 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 can't, I can't afford to stop and take care of him. I'm not going to be any better at defending myself against robbers than he was. So instead of having two people half dead in the road, I'm going to just try to get through here as quickly as possible. So, you know, it, that's a reasonable thing, right? I don't want to be next. This is not a safe place. They're busy. And uh, really, aren't we all? Aren't we all busy? And we, it's hard to not think that whatever you're doing is more important than what other people are doing. And it is more important certainly to us because it's our stuff. Um, they may have, like we would tend to, they might have judged and said it's probably his own fault. We might assume or judge. They might have judged that. We would tend to do that. Did he, uh, did he dress too flashy? It was probably a paisley shirt that did it. <laughs> uh, did he drive too nice a donkey? 
No nice low mileage, two-tone, good teeth. <laughs> Got to check the teeth, make sure they're good. Uh, that, I mean, was there something that caused him, among other people, to be robbed, to be robbed? Did he bring it on himself? Was he, was he too, did he draw attention to himself? Uh, they might have deserved it. He, they might have even judged that he deserved it. Because what business, you know, he's going to Jericho. Who's going to go to Jericho? Jericho is full of Samaritans. The Jews didn't like Samaritans. So why, 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 would you, why would you think? Somebody who's going to Jericho, what kind of good business can they have? And we do that. We, we judge people. And one of the things that I've observed about how we judge people is that we, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their actions. We see what they did and then we, we add our own motive to their actions and say, well, it was okay for us because we know why we did it, but we don't know why they did it. We think why, the reason we did it was okay, but they shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. They shouldn't have done that. Because we tend to judge people based on often, we don't know the motive of their heart. They don't know what they're going through. We know what we think is our motive, and so we judge ourselves. But a Samaritan, this is a Samaritan man, was, who was on a journey. He wasn't just by chance. He was actually trying to get from one place to the other. Came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So his first response was, first response of someone who's involved is he feels compassion uh, the Samaritans, Jesus told the story about the Samaritan. He made him a Samaritan because the Samaritans were rejected by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds because when the Assyrians had come and invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, they didn't carry off most of the people from the northern kingdom, but they brought in people from other places. And they bred with, if that's the right term, they intermingled so that the people who remained in Samaria were not pure Jews, as if the Jews who had gone into captivity were pure, pure Jews. That's another story. That's how we judge other people. So the Samaritans had a different view of the Bible. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, where the Jews accepted the whole Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets, David, as the coming, the king and the Messiah is going to come from the lineage of David. The Samaritans rejected all that. They were looking for a Messiah according to the law of Moses in a, in a picture of a Messiah that was going to be Moses-like. So the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews because the Samaritans felt like they were more conservative keepers of the law. They felt like they were more right than the Jews because the Jews had added Hanukkah and Purim. Now, God gave the Jews seven festivals to celebrate, and they added two more. So to the Samaritans, it seemed like they were mixing and adding things that didn't need to be added. To the Jews, it wasn't like the Samaritans were on the wrong track. And they worshiped at Mount Gerizim instead of in Jerusalem. In Mount Gerizim, possibly the site where Isaac 
was, was almost offered to God as a sacrifice. So they had these differences. So the Jews regarded the Samaritans poorly. Uh, so he, Jesus used this example. Here's these two religious men at the top of the Jewish religion, and here's a Samaritan that would be at the bottom socially, according to a Jew. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wound, pouring oil and wine. Uh, he wasn't hurting bad enough that he poured wine into his wounds, uh, which is a natural anesthetic, the alcohol and the wine uh, you can imagine would have been helpful for that. Uh, wine is antimicrobial, and it's you know they didn't know they didn't know that. But you know it, it's not that easy to get pure water. But they could get alcohol, and so he poured wine into the wound, and then to soothe the wound, to pour in oil. The oil that would have been popular would have been olive oil in the Middle East. Olive oil is also antimicrobial. It also has an, an agent to kill germs in it. So it would be soothing after you've poured alcohol in the wounds. It would have been soothing to pour oil into the wounds. So he just takes, he just does some basic things. He, he has compassion on him. He, he's just trying to do what he knows to do, what he can do. And he, he puts him on his donkey and, uh, and he brought him to an inn to take care of him. So he takes him on down to there's a place to take care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, took money out of his own pocket. Two denarii would have been two days' wages. So, you know, he, so he basically takes out several hundred dollars out of his pocket, sacrificially, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will pay you. And he commits himself to pay even more. To a man he doesn't know. He doesn't know anything about this guy other than he was in a bad situation, and he stepped in to help him. And then Jesus says, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor of the man who fell into robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. What does it mean to be a neighbor? It means to go and show mercy. Who is my neighbor? Biblically, my neighbor is the person that I, because of all kinds of life situations, I come in contact with, and for any number of reasons, that person needs compassion. In other words, who's your neighbor? The neighbor is the people that God puts in your path daily in all kinds of situations. The people that you encounter through the work that you do, the people you work with are your neighbors. The people that live around you are your neighbors. Although uh, I've lived in the same house for 22 years and I know virtually none of my neighbors other than an occasional way because now that we can hibernate, we can drive, pull right into our garage, shut the door, and never see anybody. So your neighbor may not be the person living next to you. Your neighbor is someone that you encounter that has a need and needs compassion. What was his response? He just showed compassion. My neighbor, my neighbor is the person around me with a need that I can fill with the resources that I have. 
The reality is you cannot solve every problem in the world and you can't help every broke, poor, messed up person. But you can help some. Maybe one. Maybe you can help one. Maybe you can just show compassion. Maybe you just need someone Someone just to listen to them. Sometimes people just need someone to listen. Sometimes we need someone just to sit with us. You know how, think about how rare a commodity this is. Think about it. Someone that will just sit with you and not take out their phone and look at it. That's almost impossible. It is almost impossible. Someone who will just be with us, who will sit with us a while. In other words, I can't do everything, but what can I do? And then, this I think is the important key. Simply ask yourself this question. What would I want someone to do to help me? If I was in this situation... What would I want someone to do? Would, you know, if, if my car was broke down by the side of the road. And this is, today this is scary because you don't know who, some of you say, I don't want anybody to stop. I'm going to call my husband. I'm going to call my wife. Somebody's going to come, come get me. I'm going to call, I'm going to call one of my sons and say, get the trailer. <laughs> Cars broke down. But what would you want? Because here's what the Bible says. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. So if you're in the hospital and you like for people to visit you in the hospital, go visit people in the hospital. Or, or if when you, when you have a life situation and you appreciate it when somebody cooks you a meal then cook somebody a meal. I mean, that's pretty easy to define, isn't it? What should I do? What would I want them to do for me? Do that. Just in a practical sense, as Christians, how do we show compassion and mercy? How do we show the nature of God? He's showing that the Samaritan, you can actually see that the good Samaritan is actually Jesus. Because Jesus comes to us broken and wounded. He is the outcast. He has been rejected by the religious community. And he is the one who has been rejected, but yet he comes and sacrificially binds up our wounds, pays the price for our healing. Amen? So the call for us is, how can we be like Jesus? We just need to be compassionate. You can't, you can't do everything. None of, us, none of us have the resources to solve everybody's problems. But that's not an excuse. We can, if we're not careful, it's like, well, you know, what can I do? But what can you do? This guy gave, I'm sure it was a sacrifice, to take two days' wages out of his pocket 
and put them on the counter and say, listen, whatever more he spends, I'll pay you back when I come through. I'm putting myself on the, on the line for this guy. I'm putting myself on the hook. This is so important. See, how we demonstrate the love of Christ demonstrates that we do love Christ. The way we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the way we love God is not by attending church. That's a part of it. That's not the end of it. The way we love God is demonstrated in how we love people. Jesus said it this way. This is how men will know that you're my disciples. Because you have love one for another. The way that the world sees that, we, that there is something to this Christianity thing and following Christ thing, what the world sees and how we love each other and how we demonstrate the love of Christ, how we show compassion and mercy and not judgment. That's how we show what it means to be a follower of Christ. That we love one another. My last statement was just the primary way that we as lovers of Christ show that we are indeed lovers of Christ is the way we show it in loving people. So we can't do everything. But we can all do something. Amen? Amen? Let's stand. You know, I found one of the most powerful things that you can do as you're on your journey, you're going to run into people are in the middle of a crisis. And you may not have the answers. You may not know what to do. But I found there's a powerful thing that you can do. Is that you can say, can I pray with you about this? Now, my wife is way better at this than I am. And in all of our years of doing this, I've never had anybody say to me, don't pray for me. I don't want you to pray for me. I don't believe in that stuff. Because you know, when you're in trouble, you get pretty open to your options. And maybe, maybe if you can just say, hey, can I just pray with you? Because what people are looking to see is the, the love and the care and the compassion of God. And God does that through us. Most of us haven't seen an angel. They're not showing up. God's going to use you and I to show the world what Jesus looks like. Boy, don't we need his help to do that? Because just like that lawyer, I hadn't been, I haven't been keeping it hundred percent or 20% or 10%. I don't know what the percentage is, but I've failed And I need Jesus to help me. Amen. Amen. So Jesus, we ask you to help us. Help us, Lord. We're so weak. We're so selfish that sometimes it's hard for us to even get out of ourselves, our own need, our own problems long enough to recognize that you've put people around us that need to see the compassion and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be your hands extended in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.